1 Peter chapter 1, verse 1 to 12. Starting from verse 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect, strangers in the world, scattered through Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ and sprinkling by his blood. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. Praise be to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade, kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In, in this, you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come in you searched intently and with the greatest care, trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you, when they spoke of the things that have now been told you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit and sent from heaven. Even angels long to look into these things. Good morning. I bring you greetings from Malaysia. Um, It's been great to be back here in Australia. Uh, I was last back here in 2011 uh, when I came for my granduncle's funeral. But before that, uh, I lived in Australia for uh, three years, from 2002 to 2004, as I was studying in more theological college. So this morning, it's a great privilege for me to stand here to bring God's word to all of you. And I want to really thank your leaders for trusting me with your pulpit. I wonder whether any of you have ever felt homesick. If you are ever vulnerable of homesickness, may I ask, how many days or months or years do you have to be away from home or away from Australia before you feel the longing to return uh, and that you're missing home already. Uh, just now, I believe that a question was asked and somebody told me that uh, it takes her two weeks to be away from home and she will feel homesick. So I just wonder, how long would you take to begin to feel homesick? When we feel homesick, it is our longing for home. Homesickness is a disease of displacement. It is when we feel that we are not where we belong. It is as if we were a stranger living with strangers in a strange land. The English language has a word for this. It is called exile. Exile. To be exiled is to be estranged in the land that we live in and longing for the land we call home. Peter captures the essence of this word, exile, when he addressed groups of scattered Christians who live in Asia Minor, which is northern Turkey today. 
in our text today, in 1 Peter chapter 1 verses 1, Peter introduces himself as the apostle of Jesus Christ. The word apostles comes from the Greek apostolos, meaning the sent one. Peter was called by the Lord Jesus Christ from his fishing business, followed Jesus for close to three years, was an eyewitness to the resurrected Lord, and on the day of Pentecost, filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, he preached in Jerusalem to a multitude, and 3,000 were saved on that day. In this letter, in 1 Peter, Peter wrote around AD 60s to the elect exiles or the elect strangers of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. These are groups of Christians who have their house churches in northern Turkey today. These Christians were not having the best of times during the Roman Empire, for they were suffering from persecution. So Peter's purpose in writing to them was to encourage them to be steadfast in their faith while they endured suffering. Peter calls these pockets of scattered Christians in the NIV as elect strangers and in the ESV as elect exiles. These two words, elect exiles, are loaded words with meaning. To be elect is to be chosen by God. It is to be loved by God and to be included in God's salvation plan. It would have reminded these early Christians that God elected Israel as God's people and brought them from one man, Abraham, to be a nation under God. To be an elect is to have experienced the steadfast love of the Lord, the covenant love of God, which is called Hesed in Hebrew. And these Christians who are elect are also called exiles or strangers. Again, this word would have conjured up memories of Israel's history. Israel were exiles in the wilderness for 40 years, wandering aimlessly. They were just a doorstep from the promised land, but they refused to enter due to fear and faithlessness. And in the history of Israel, we find them in exile again when the nation was carried off to Babylon. God dispersed them throughout the nations just as God had warned them if they were unfaithful to Him. This would happen. So the Jews found themselves far away from home, scattered across the nations. So Peter invokes the memories of Israel's exile to inform his readers that they too are loved by God and yet are in exile. It is a paradox for them and for us. Elect exiles are like mixed metaphors. How can I be loved by God and yet be in exile? How can God love me and yet allow suffering to come into my life? But there's a difference between Israel and these readers. The exilic identity of these readers was not because of unfaithfulness, disobedience or sin. The rest of the letter bears out that it was because of faithfulness and steadfastness. Verse 2 tells us that they were exiles according to the plan of the Trinitarian God. According to the foreknowledge of God the Father. In the sanctification of God's Spirit. For obedience to Jesus Christ 
and for the sprinkling with his blood. In spite of persecution and suffering, these scattered Christians of Asia Minor were there according to the mysterious plan and in the hidden counsel of God. It was God's plan from eternity to place them there. And God had a plan to make them holy, to sanctify them, so that they would obey Jesus Christ because they have been washed and sprinkled clean by the blood of Jesus. So Peter opens with a Christian greeting in verse 2. Grace and peace be multiplied to you. Grace. God has given us what we do not deserve in the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus over our sins. God is giving us what we do not deserve. And that is grace. Peace. God's shalom. God's well-being that comes only with reconciliation between God and man. That we might receive the peace that comes from God. And then from verses 3 to 12, in quick brush strokes, Peter surveys the grand plan of salvation by God from the future to the past. In verses 3 to 5, Peter speaks of God's promised future to the believers. Verses 6 to 9, the believers' present sufferings. And verses 10 to 12, the gospel's prophetic past. Peter wants to show his readers that their present sufferings are undergirded within God's salvation plan. Their present adversities are not accidental, not ad hoc, not meaningless, and not directionless. God has a plan. And this plan includes their sufferings. From verses 3 to 5, Peter first encouraged the believers by informing them that God has a promised future for them. Peter begins with a blessing towards God. Verse 3, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is a great lesson for us in this opening statement. Whenever we encounter anxieties and sufferings, the first thing that we ought to do is to praise God. We will have to make an intentional decision to praise God for when we are down and despondent or when we feel homesick and hopeless or when fear and futility comes upon us. Our human tendencies is to complain and blame others. But when we bless God, we are worshipping. We enter into His presence before His throne. And surely when we come to God, strength and encouragement will flow from Him to us. God will give us the faith that you will even move mountains. God's blessing comes to us because of His great mercy. Look at verse 3. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. God's blessings come to us because of His great mercy. What is mercy? I mentioned just now about grace. Grace is God giving us what we don't deserve. We do not deserve eternal life, but God gives us life, and that's grace. Mercy, however, is God not giving us what we deserve. We are sinners. We deserve God's judgment, 
But God does not inflict His judgment of hell upon us. And that is mercy. And God causes us to be born again. We are spiritually dead in trespasses and sins. But God gave us a rebirth to a new spiritual life. God brought us from death to life so that we might have a living hope. The scattered Christians of Asia Minor may have been experiencing a dreary existence of suffering, poverty and persecution. And at worst, they were staring death in their face. But Peter says that there is now a turnaround from a hopeless exile to a living hope. The reason for this living hope is because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. If Jesus were raised from the dead, that means that death is not the end. There is life after death. If Jesus were raised from the dead, that means that Jesus is more than just a mortal man. He is Lord over life and death. And Jesus is now alive. And we can embrace Him by faith and enjoy the eternal life that He has promised to everyone who believes in Him. Jesus is the Son of God who went into exile from heaven so that we can return from exile back to heaven. Jesus is the answer to our spiritual exile. Jesus will cure our spiritual homesickness and bring us home to heaven one day. Our true habitat is with God in heaven. In the next verse, Peter talks about the spiritual inheritance that is kept for us in heaven. Look at verse 4. To an inheritance that will not perish, that is not defiled, that will not fade kept in heaven for you. What is this inheritance that we have in heaven? Actually, the verse does not say what it is. But the verse says what it is not. This inheritance is not perishable. It is not defiled. It does not fade. Not perishable. I get the idea that Peter is trying to tell us that this heavenly inheritance that is reserved for us is wholly different from the inheritance that we find in this world. What this world can offer us is perishable. What is living will someday die. Transience marks the existence of every living thing on this planet. But our heavenly inheritance lives forever and is permanent. Not defiled. Just take a look around you today. Look at the locks on our doors, the alarms in our homes, the police stations, the prisons, the hospitals, the cemeteries. Look at our newspapers, the fraud, the violence, the sexual abuse, the missing children. Walk around in town and see the drunks sleeping along the street's corridors and the beggars asking for some change. We cannot help but notice that this world is not what it should be. Go to the courts and observe the divorce cases and the child custody claims. Our world is a fallen world, defiled by sin. Sin is not only out there, but in every human heart. Theologians call this total 
depravity. What this means is that every faculty of the human person has been corrupted by sin. We are not as sinful as we can be, but sin has affected our every desire, our decisions, and our deeds. This world is corrupted and polluted by sin. It is blemished and defiled. It is dirty. But the home that God has promised us is of another quality altogether. It is not blemished and it is not defiled. It is unstained by sin. It is clean and pure. The curse of sin will not be found in heaven. It is a new world prepared by God for those who have been chosen and loved by Him. This inheritance does not fade. Things on earth are subject to fading and decay. Our new clothes that we buy will fade one day. Our human bodies bloom in youth but loses its vitality and will soon fade away. Even our reputation and our heroics that are held in high regard now will soon fade away. Time will take a toll on our collective memories. Those who seem so important to us now will diminish in importance and soon fade away. Those who love us so much now at some time in the future may not love us that much for our love will also fade. We are all subject to fading. But our inheritance in heaven will not fade. It will not lose its shine. Its glimmer and sparkle and color will always be as bright as it will ever be. And this inheritance is kept for us in heaven by the power of God. It is secured for eternity. This is why Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount tells us to invest in heavenly treasures. I wonder whether we have the slide. Yeah, it's there. It says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 to 20. Why store up temporary treasures when you can store up permanent treasures? Why store up treasures only for this life when you can store up treasures for eternal life? Jesus is our ultimate investment analyst. This inheritance is kept for us in heaven. Verse 5 tells us that the believers are guarded by God's power so that we will get there one day. Look at verse 5. Who by God's power is being guarded through faith for a salvation that is ready to be revealed. The word guarded is a military term. It is the word garrison. It is like God assigning a garrison of angels to protect the faith of every one of us so that we will not abandon our faith and one day we will get there to the glory of God, to enjoy the inheritance that He has kept and reserved for us. God secures our faith so that we will arrive at our destination to enjoy our inheritance. Peter wants the believers to know that God has a grand promised future for all of us who believe, founded on the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And God is keeping our inheritance and guarding our faith. In the second section, Peter writes to encourage the scattered Christians who face 
various trials. Peter calls on the believers to rejoice in their sufferings. Peter tells the believers that the trials that face are not meaningless. God has a purpose for the trials that we face. God's purpose is found in verse 7, is that their faith will be refined as it is tested by fire. Verse 7 reads, I'm actually reading from the ESV, so some of you may have NIV, but it's close enough. So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes through, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honour at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Firstly, Peter compares the believer's faith with the most precious metal that can be found then and even now, which is gold. Peter says that our faith is even more precious than gold. Gold can only take you so far, give you a comfortable life in this world. Or rather, we can say that we can only take our goal so far, till the end of our earthly life. But our faith will carry us from this life to the next life. Our faith will bring us beyond death to the inheritance that God has kept for us. So Peter compares our faith and goal and says that even as goal needs to be refined by fire, so too our faith. When we go through trials, it is as if the dross and dirt of our character will be melted down and brought to the surface to be skinned away by God. To get to the dirt and dross, the Christian has to be broken down and melted down. Without that, the flaws in the character cannot be seen. It is only in adversities that we can learn that what we are truly made of. The best university in this world is the university of adversity. When we face trials, our character is challenged. Our flaws are exposed. And then we realize what kind of person we are. And we bow down and we say, Lord Jesus, forgive me. I'm such an ugly person. Please change me so that I can be beautiful like you. What are these trials that can help us to refine our faith? Some of us might think that if we miss our bus or we fail an exam, that is a terrible trial. Or we have a difficult mother-in-law, that is a trial. But Peter's idea is more than that. It is the idea that the early believers are in exile. They live conflicted lives. Their values are in contrast to the values of this world. What the world does, they do not do. They are sojourners in this world and they live in weakness. They are strangers. <clears throat> they do not walk along the corridors of power. They are without power, position and prestige. The world looks down at Christians as fools, believing in a crucified Messiah. Secondly, trials could also be affliction. It is a test of suffering that comes because of their faith. God tests us in suffering to build up our perseverance. Paul says in Romans chapter 5, verses 3 to 5. Next slide, please. 
we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Paul also says in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 to 14, that the believers, next slide, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. Yes, the Holy Spirit that has been given to us is the deposit, the seal, to guarantee the inheritance that has been reserved for us. The test of faith, faith is we have yet to receive the promises of God in its fullness. Verse 8 says that though we have yet to see God, we love Him and believe in Him and we rejoice with joy. This joy wells up in our soul and fills us with glory. We have not received what we are expecting, but faith keeps us going. Faith helps us persevere. True faith will persevere to the very end. And those who persevere to the end will be saved. And those who persevere to the end are the true believers. This is why verse 9 says that the outcome of our faith is the salvation of our souls. We are saved by grace through faith and not by works so that no one can boast. And finally, in the last section, verses 10 to 12, Peter encouraged the Christians from the gospel's prophetic past. The gospel did not start with the story of Jesus. Long before Jesus came, God had enacted his salvation plan and prophesied this plan through the prophets. The prophets stood in God's presence, heard God's word, and prophesied and spoke God's word to the people. The prophets were men of God who prophesied God's promised future to God's people. They did not see everything clearly, but they had glimpses, they had pictures, they had images of what is to come. And they spoke out these promises to God's people that a Messiah is coming. We see in verse 10, Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully. The prophets not only prophesied about the grace that is to come, but they spent their time searching and looking out for the fulfillment. And verse 11 says, Carefully inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicated when he predicted the sufferings of Christ. And the subsequent glories, the Spirit of the Christ or the Holy Spirit was at work in these prophets to help them discern the times and the coming of the suffering Christ. So the prophets knew that the Christ was a suffering Christ. It was not a Christ of power. It was not a Christ of glory. And verse 12 says, It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the power of the Holy Spirit, sent from heaven things into which angels long to look for. The Old Testament prophets, in their ministry of prophecy, 
was actually serving the generation of Peter. And all of us, they were not serving themselves, but you. And the Holy Spirit not only worked in the prophets of the past, but also working in the preachers of the gospel of the present, and even the present preachers of today. And finally, the tail end of the verse 12, things in which angels long to look for. Angels are not omniscient. They do not know everything. They do not know the details of God's salvation plan. God has shared His plan to the prophets and not to the angels. And when these plans unfolded before the eyes of the angels, they looked up. They marveled at God's plan. How God could send His Son into exile, away from heaven, to redeem sinners, to bring them back from exile through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Friends, what sufferings might you be encountering at this moment? Like the angels, look up. Marvel at God's plan. See that God's salvation plan includes your suffering and mine as well. Our sufferings are within God's plan to conform us to Jesus. Our sufferings are merely temporary and not worth comparing with the inheritance and the glory that awaits us. Dear Christian, rejoice in your sufferings for God is building up your perseverance which will produce within you character and hope. Yes, we are elect exiles, just like the original readers of 1 Peter. But take comfort, carry a little, for God is preparing a grand homecoming for us into his heavenly home. Let us pray. Dear Lord, our Father in heaven, we truly thank you for this morning that we can come together to consider your word. We thank you, Lord, that you have such a great plan of salvation and you have revealed it to the prophets and the prophets have revealed it to us. We thank you also that it is through your son Jesus that we see the culmination of your plan that through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead we have this living hope to a new life. We praise you, Lord. We ask God that you will help us even in our present sufferings and our struggles as Christians. Each of us, Lord, experience different struggles but we pray that you will help us to have faith to be steadfast to continue to follow after Jesus to walk in your way and when we are down we ask that you will help us to praise you and to marvel at your plan to recognize that your plan includes 
our suffering. We want to pray that you will be with us and strengthen us, Lord. That even as our faith goes through the refining fire, you will hold us up. You will keep us steadfast. You will strengthen us by your Holy Spirit. Help us also to look up unto Jesus because we have a living hope. A living hope in the Lord Jesus Christ who lived and died and was raised again so that Father Lord we may come back to you we may return from exile and we look forward to that day when we will receive that grand homecoming from you that we will come back to you Lord our true habitat thank you Lord in Jesus name Amen